Go ahead and have your seats. We're going to get started. My name is Joey. This is my wife, Stacy. We're the Bensons. We're going to be reading from Luke 9, verses 1 through 9, if you want to get out your phone or whatever. Bible. The Bible. Uh, Stacy will be reading from the Bible. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And, whatever, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Let's pray. Father, we again just thank you so much for this place that we come to to and worship you. Lord, just ask that you'd be present today during this time as, as Matt uh, brings the message. Lord, ask that our, our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, Lord, that um, your word would be um, transforming today, Lord. We just praise things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for reading from the Bible. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Infusion Church. I, I serve as the, the, the lead pastor, but we have a team of pastors uh, that, that work together. And um, we hope that, if, especially if this is your first time here, we hope that you feel welcome. We hope that you feel like you're, you're part of the family. We hope uh, you're able to meet some, some new people, some down-to-earth to uh, people that can help you and encourage you. And, and um, it, there's something amazing about gathering together uh, with other people who are, are searching for faith, for the, the, the meaning of life and finding it in Christ Jesus and his purposes uh, for us. And so uh, it is our hope and our prayer that, that you can experience that this morning. Now, to bring you up to speed, to bring you up to speed of this, if you're new here, um, we are in the middle of a, a series. We just started it, actually, last, last Sunday. For the rest of the summer, um, we're in a series called Church Life. And what this series is all about is, what does it look like for all of us together to be committed to Jesus, to be committed to his, his family, to be committed to Jesus' mission together? And then what's important, what's critical in this series is focusing on the gospel, focusing on the liberating good news and how the liberating good news of Jesus inspires us to live as community on mission. Now, God has called us to be a community because that's the best thing for us, but he also called us to be a community of grace to bless our city. And so that's what this series is about. And today, today, this morning, we're going to be talking about evangelism. Okay? Now, we're going to be talking about what evangelism is, and we're going to be talking about what evangelism is not. And I think it's important to consider both sides of that. It's important for us to remember that for a lot of people, the word evangelism, the word evangelism is kind of like a bad word, right? 
Whether it's fair or not, okay? Whether it's fair or not, when people hear the word evangelism or evangelist, what do they think of? I think a lot of people think of in-your-face street preachers or slick TV evangelists just after your money, guys that are judgmental or self-promoting or just weird, right? Jerks for Jesus. This is one of the reasons a lot of people don't like that Christians do evangelism, that, 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 that Christians urge people to leave their current religion or their current personal belief system and convert to Christianity. So you might hear, it might be common for you to hear, in fact, people say things like, you know what, there might be a few things about Christianity that are okay, but, but I'm not okay with, with the, the arrogance to, to say that unless you convert and believe the way that I do, you're lost. The whole turn or burn, love God or go to hell, you're an idiot, come to Jesus deal. Now, I understand why people would feel that way. Churches have done, you don't have to look very far, churches have done some pretty wacky things, even hurtful things in the name of of evangelism. And I'm not just talking about the Westboro people. A lot of evangelism has been done with, with, with an arrogance that has been motivated by pride or motivated by insecurity rather than motivated by a genuine love for people and a desire to help them because God loved you and helped you. Now, we also know um, that a lot of churches have just decided because of all that, they're just going to ban evangelism altogether, all purposely avoid trying to convert people. Now, here's the deal. The truth is, if you think about it seriously, is you can't not do evangelism. It's impossible. You can't not do evangelism because what evangelism is, is the telling of good news, Right? Evangelism is telling people that there's a better way to think. Evangelism is telling people there's a better, a better way to believe. Uh, there's, evangelism is telling people that there's a better way to, to live, and you simply cannot avoid doing that. For example, if someone comes up to you with all sincerity, uh, says to you, proclaims to you, that all views are legitimate and no one should impose their view on someone else. What are they doing? Evangelism, right? That's evangelism. It is a, a sincere effort to convert people to their belief and to live by it, right? So that brings us to tolerance. What is tolerance? Everybody has a different view about what tolerance is. The truth is, when it comes to tolerance, is tolerance is not a lack of convictions. Tolerance is not a lack of beliefs. Tolerance is all about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who don't share your beliefs, who don't share, who don't share your convictions. So... We can't not do evangelism, but what we must do is this, okay? What we must do is to strive to do evangelism, strive to do good news telling in a way that treats people with dignity, that treats people with, with respect, that treats people with love in a way that actually makes them feel loved. Now, 
It's possible, I know. It's possible for, for even many people who hear what I'm saying to have their first thought be, well, Jesus didn't always make people feel loved. He called people a brood of vipers, and that was the loving thing to do, right? Now, if that's my first thought, I need to realize that Jesus was addressing the, the religious self-righteous Pharisees, and then I need to realize that I just might be one of them, right? If that is our first thought, I should probably consider that, and I, should, I need to repent. But wait a second, time out. In the text we just read, Jesus said in verse 5, if one of the towns rejects you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. That's not very nice, is it? Well, again, same category as the self-righteous religious Pharisees. When it was finally time for those disciples to move on, it was a warning against the self-righteous because everything that the disciples did, the whole time they were there, um, there was rejected. They came in determined to lead with love. They were healing people left and right, sharing the good news and the love of Jesus in word and deed. And after all of that, the town figured they didn't need Jesus' grace. They didn't need Jesus' truth. They didn't need Jesus' righteousness. They were content with being self-righteous. And so after leading with sharing the love of Jesus in word and deed, if the town was, was not receptive, the disciples end their time there with a testimony against them as, as a final and critical warning. Again, you don't have to look too hard at all to find people who say that they hate evangelism and to find people who say that they're gung-ho about evangelism who think that evangelism starts with making a testimony against people. And then that's it, right? They're done. No plan to serve with sacrificial deeds, no loving relationships, no gentleness, no respect. Here's the deal about evangelism. Evangelism is not just a go-and-tell deal. Evangelism is a show-and-tell deal. You show people the love of Jesus and then tell them the truth of Jesus. So here's, here's what I hope we really get here. All right? When it comes to evangelism, if you do not genuinely love the people or the person with whom you're sharing the good news, consider not sharing it until you do love them. All right? Let me say that one more time. If you do not genuinely love the person or the people with whom you are sharing the good news, consider not sharing them, not representing Jesus, until you genuinely love them. And pray for that. Pray for that. Now, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and assume... I'm going to assume that we can agree that what we need to do first is make an effort to share the love of Christ in a way that makes non-Christians actually feel loved, not in a way that makes them feel like your enemy. Right? And our text this morning, I think, helps us do that. Um, we're going to look at, at three quick questions. Who does evangelism? How is evangelism done? And what is the good news that we're sharing with people? So first is this. Who does this? And one of the things that we see throughout the scriptures is that the people who do this are the community of faith. Okay? So in verse 1, it says this, And Jesus called the twelve together, and he sent them out. The twelve apostles 
they represent the whole church. All the followers of Jesus. Jesus is sending an entire community of faith to do evangelism, to show and tell the good news. Why? It's because community is part of the good news. Jesus, part of the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is creating, drawing together a new people. He is drawing together a community of faith, a community of brothers and sisters that live out his kingdom of grace values together. So it's a community of faith. Verse 6, look what it says. It says, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And the language used here indicates that no one went off on their own as like a lone ranger. They just didn't do it solo. They went together. And at the very least, they minister and serve in pairs. They did good news, show and tell as a community. They worked as a team. They functioned as a team based on, on their gifts. Now, I'm just speculating here, but just by way of illustration. Maybe Philip was, was in charge of planning out the schedule. Maybe Matthew took care of, of the housing arrangements and, and planned the meetings. Andrew probably kind of head up, you know, inviting people to come hear the message. And my guess is that Peter did most of the preaching, and James and others may have been involved in healing. And I see John doing much of the, the counseling and teaching. But however they did it, however they did it, they function as a team, together. And you know what? It's just like us today. It's just like this for us today. The community of faith, together, proclaiming the good news. Jesus intended for us to do this together because that's how we show what the good news looks like. Jesus changes lives in the context of community, living and working together as a team, sharing the good news to people who need it. For me personally, you know my story that I grew up in the, in the church and there came a point in my life when I did not give a rip about the church. I did not give a rip about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I did not give a rip about honoring God, about honoring Jesus as my king and living God's way for him as opposed to living my way for me. And I was incredibly foolish and was in a very dark spot. The, the gospel bounced off who Jesus is, the truth of who Jesus and what he has done, uh, you know, bounced off, off of my heart like bullets off of a, a rock and I heard the gospel so much but was not changed by it that when I heard the gospel it was yeah 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 tell me Jesus died on the cross for my sins and give me new life tell me something I don't know and I just kept doing whatever it is that I wanted to do but God used a community of faith and grace to reach me they loved me they shared the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus to me in word and deed. That's how, that was the means. I, I grew up experiencing that, but then something clicked. Holy Spirit came to my heart. My eyes were open, and the means by which God used that was, was the teaching of God's word, not just from the pulpit, but in the relationships that I had with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And now I'm a pastor? That makes no sense at all. I've got a friend from high school here this morning, visiting, he's on vacation. Anybody in high school, anybody in high school that knew me in high school would not believe that I would be a pastor, am I right? That's exactly right. It happens in, in community, right? Even, not just in like church, but even in your own neighborhood. 
On 4th of July, I wanted to bring our neighborhood people together. I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't really have much time, but I decided I would borrow a jumpy house thing and a, and a grill. And I thought maybe one other couple, me and a cranky old man, I thought it would just be the four of us. Right? And then I invited some friends from the church. And then for whatever reason, people showed up out of the woodwork. All the neighbors showed up. And I was focused on kind of pulling it off. But because people like Shilpa showed up with these awesome skewers of whatever it was, deliciousness. Um, I don't know if she meant to share all of them with the neighbors, but I took the plate and shared them with all the neighbors. And they were all stoked. So I gave away all of her food. And then, and then they started connecting with neighbors in ways I never, I never could. And that connected them more with me. And then eventually one neighbor showed up I never met before. He came up to me and said, hey, I heard there's some pastor dude around here. I'm like, yeah, that's me. He's like, what? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we got to talking. And it was a result. And because of other people from our church where they were hanging out, loving our, our neighbors, it set, it set us up to talk about what's going on in their lives. And some very serious issues came up. And they were willing to talk about it. I mean, I, I won't share what those issues are now because I don't want to betray their confidence, but it was because people from the church got together to help me love my neighbors. That's, that's how this deal works. Some of you know that on August 30th, the very last Sunday of this month, we're going to have our church picnic Sunday. And the whole purpose, the whole point of having a church picnic Sunday is not just so we can get a bunch of heads under one roof at the same time with loud music. That's not it. The goal is to help people get connected to a community of faith. Whether it's their first time showing up or whether they're involved but not really connected, get connected into a crowded house or involved in a DNA discipleship group or, or whatever it is, the preschool is going to have an open house with parents coming in. The whole goal is to get connected, for us to work together as, as a family, to be uh, the welcoming community God has designed us to be. And then we do baptisms. There's something powerful about doing baptisms in community, a powerful testimony of identifying with Jesus through his death, burial, and, and, and resurrection that just stirs the, the, the love and faith of everybody. That's how this works in community. And by the way, if, you've, if you participate in the Lord's Supper, you've not yet been baptized, you need to let us know so we can, we can do that. You can bless the community and you'll be blessed by it. So let me know if you need to get baptized. When you see somebody get baptized and because that they found new life in, in Jesus, and then you see them get plugged in and their life transform, man, when you watch that play out, it changes you. It absolutely changes you. It builds up your faith. This is the kind of stuff we get to see. This is the kind of stuff that we get to experience if we're living out God's call with others in the church in response to the work of Jesus. So who does this? A community of faith together. Secondly, how's it done? It's done with good news irony. I've talked about this before, but I feel like I still need to uh, explain it. Uh, look at the rest of that first verse. It says this, that Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's pretty impressive, right? And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. 
Does this seem a little weird to you? It seems a little weird to me, right? He says, I give you all of the power and authority that you need to do what I've been doing. Now go, but take nothing with you. No staff, no suitcase, bread, money, no debit cards, no change of clothes, nothing. Why? What in the world's going on here? Jesus is doing some training, some much-needed training for his disciples. He's doing some discipleship here. He's using good news irony, and here's what I mean. He sends his disciples with his power and with his authority, and at the same time, he sends them out totally weak, totally dependent on God, and the hospitality and generosity of other people with no guarantee that they'll have it. And as a result, they go with humility and boldness. Those things don't usually go together, do they? Humility and boldness. That's good news irony. That's what catches people off guard. That's what gets people's attention. Too often, Christians who do evangelism can, they can, come across as arrogant. They can seem to have a holier-than-thou attitude. They can seem to be filled with pride. But here's the deal. If we know the gospel, if we know who Jesus is, who we are, and what he has done for us, out of sheer grace, Christians should be the most humble people on the planet. Because we know that we were so lost, the only way we could be saved was for God the Son to die for us. That creates humility. When we humbly admit our weakness, when we humbly admit our sin and our struggles, what happens? Then people can identify you with, with you. The people who are broken can identify with your brokenness. And they could say, I'm exactly like that. On the other hand, some Christians are so fearful that they rarely, if ever, share their faith because they're scared of being mocked or rejected. But since we're saved by grace, Christians should be the most confident people on the planet because we know that no matter what happens, no matter how bad we, we blow it, God still loves us as much as he ever did and nothing can change that. And that leads to good news irony, humility and boldness. It connects with people in their weakness and gives them hope that they too can, show, can know the joy of God and, and the difference that Jesus makes in their lives. And you know what? That is exactly how it is right now. Right? Jesus sends us to share the good news with humility and boldness. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be humble enough to admit our weakness, to admit our sin, to, to admit our struggles, that, that we don't have it all together. And yet at the same time, he wants us to be bold because we are absolutely confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our humility connects us with people who are weak because we're weak. And our gospel boldness gives them hope that, that they can change because Jesus changed us and continues to change us. Again, with, 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 our, with our neighbors, what's, it's been amazing. Um, 
We wanted to live out our gospel kingdom values and love and serve our neighbors. We've been somewhat limited because of, of the, the health problems in our family, Shannon having a stroke and, and before that fibromyalgia, and we didn't really know how we could do it. And, and the most amazing thing happened is we, we pray for opportunities to connect with our neighbors. Um, we've been able to encourage people in passing. God sovereignly you know, just put together opportunities, uh, just kind of... Uh, spontaneous, which has been which has been awesome, but at the same time, we've had neighbors come over to our house with meals. People come over to our house to wash our dishes. They know we're weak, we're broken, that we struggle, and that has has just opened the doors to connect, and and then eventually share what's most important to our hearts in our hearts and lives. That's how this works. Our weakness connected us to our neighbors. And then there's this morning, Sunday mornings, okay? Brothers and sisters worshiping together as a community. That's why it's so important for you to make sure that you're worshiping with your brothers and sisters um, on, on Sunday morning. And then people hear me on, on Saturday to get here early um, for for rehearsal or to set up the hospitality muse, uh, the hospitality table, practice all of their, their music. Others set things up, uh, you know, like, like bulletins and people are greeting uh, new people. And we have people from all different, we have people from all different, I am blown away how many different walks of life are represented in, in this church. Not just racially, but just different, different backgrounds. All demonstrating who God is. All, everybody coming together, singing praises to God for his grace together as a community. And then the city wonders, as they watch us worshiping together, serving each other and serving the community, what kind of group is that? That's powerful testimony. It's a powerful example. What is it that brings the different people together? And together we answer King Jesus. He's forming a new people, a new ethnicity, and we will live with him forever. That is good news irony. And together we confess, Lord, we are weak, we are sinful. But then we praise him and we say, Jesus, your cross takes away all of our sin. And all that you are and all that you have, we have received by faith. And we know it's true because our Redeemer lives gospel irony, humility and boldness, connecting, we, connecting with weak people like us and giving hope. This is how we share the good news. Okay, so that brings us to our last question. What is the good news? Um, the good, it's the good news of Jesus. Let's just start with that. It's the good news of Jesus. Jump to verse 7 and it says this in the text. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Uh, by, by some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that, that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? King Herod got word that the that the 12 disciples were preaching about a, a new kingdom with a new, new king. How do you think that made him feel? He felt threatened, right? You know why? Because he wanted to be king. So when he hears about Jesus, he's wondering, who is this guy? Some people said he's a prophet, come back to life. Others say John the Baptist. And Herod said, I know it's not John the Baptist because I cut that dude's head off. 
Who is this Jesus guy? Now, for all of his faults, and there are many, for all of his faults, Herod did get one thing right. The central issue is, who is Jesus? He is either who he said he is, or he is a liar, or he's crazy. There are no other options. He's either a liar, or he's crazy, or he is who he said he is. It comes down to who is Jesus. And that's what the good news is all about. It's all about Jesus. So what is the good news? Well, first, the bad news, okay? You got to appreciate, you got to, you got to understand the bad news to appreciate the good news. The bad news is this. The bad news is that the world and every single one of us is broken. And it's broken because of rebellion against God by people like me. The root of all of our problems is our rejection of God as king and our desire to be our own king. You know what that means? It means we're just like Herod. And all of our problems, all of our problems flow from this. Our social problems like war, pollution, and racism, our spiritual problems like separation from God and the threat of eternal judgment, our physical problems from the flu to cancer and death, and we know that it's not the way things are supposed to be and wouldn't exist in paradise, and our emotional problems like drivenness and depression and fear and anxiety. All the bad news, all the brokenness, is a result of our broken relationship with God. Because for all of us, all those before us and all those after us, we all have the same self-centered desire to be our own king. So paradise is lost. So what's the good news? The good news is this, that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of his people. He is our king that delivers us from brokenness. He is our king that delivers us from evil. He is our king that delivers us from death. He is our king that delivers us from eternal judgment and restores our relationship to God. And here's the irony. Our our great king, our great king came to us in weakness came as a baby, born in a barn and placed in a feed bin. His first visitors weren't powerful dignitaries, but poor, despised migrant workers. For part of his life, he was, he was homeless. He said, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but I have no place to lay my head. Jesus came to us in total weakness. But he also came in total boldness, Right? Jesus told the truth, and he told it straight. And the self-righteous refused to bow to him, and they wanted to be their own king. And so they beat him to a bloody pulp, crowned him with, thrones, uh, with thorns, and thrown him on the cross, and our king died. Why? He died to set us free from brokenness. He died so that our rebellion could be forgiven. He died so that we can be right with God. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And then one day, one day, he will return from heaven to make everything that's wrong in the world right. It's our great hope. Not our great wish. That's our great hope, as in a great promise. And until then, 
until that day, God sends you and me, all of us together, not to just go and tell, but show and tell the good news as a community of faith together. Now, I asked permission. I I shared a little bit of my testimony. I asked permission if I could share a little bit of my wife's testimony. She grew up in the church also. Um, And as you heard me say, uh, we were both pastor's kids, and, and she was the angel pastor's kid, and I was the demon pastor's kid. And so we had different ways of responding to, to all of that. Um, but she has a testimony that I think is undervalued and underappreciated, and I think is, it can be, in some cases, far more important than the sensational testimonies we hear about you know, the leader of hell's angels finding Jesus in the middle of a desert on a bike ride and, and was able to witness to to migrant workers in Spanish, even though he never knew Spanish. And, and I, I mean, you know, stuff like that is like, whoa, right? But I think the kind of testimony that, that Shannon has is, uh, is, is just as much important, if not more important within the, the church. She grew up her whole life going to church. She was a good girl, followed all the rules, was always willing to try to help other people in their problems. And she got pats on the back. You're, you're, you're such a good good girl. And that kind of shaped her view of of Christianity. But then, as an adult, as a young adult, it just got old for her. All of it just got old. It just seemed empty. And she asked God, she asked God if she's going to appreciate his grace, be compelled to worship him for his grace, she asked God, God, show me the sin in my heart. That's profound prayer, I think. And God answered that prayer. Her eyes were open. She realized that she's been having an attitude that grace and forgiveness were for other people. But she didn't really need it. And then when God opened her eyes to her sin and then the saving work of, of Jesus in her heart and life, that it renewed her faith because it drove her to the cross and demolished any self-righteousness that was in her heart. Grace was for her. And then as she got sick with fibromyalgia and then with the stroke, I mean, and then the community of faith just praying for her and sharing God's grace with her, I mean, it's just had a, a profound effect on her relationship with God, and it's just been... Amazing to watch, amazing to see. I think one of the most important prayers, anybody who's been in church or part of a church for any amount of time, I think one of the most important prayers you could pray is, God, show me the sin in my, in my heart. And then be in community to discuss it with your brothers and sisters who know the gospel, who know God's grace. Again, like I said, her story of faith is different than the sensational stories, the sensational t- testimonies that we like. In fact, it was so powerful on her. You know what she did? She stood in front of our church and she confessed her sin of self-righteousness and how Christ died for that. And how she now came to a place that well, she trusts trust Christ and his righteousness. That is good news, irony, humility, and boldness. And it opened all kinds of opportunities for her to talk with 
Christians and also other non-Christians. And when it came to talking to non-Christians, it was, she was able to talk about what the gospel is and what it's not, what the church is and what it's not, and how she had a misunderstanding and how she came to new insight. And they were like, oh, wow. And it's had a powerful effect on her conversations with people who aren't connected to, to Christ in any way. So let me end with this, okay? You've been waiting for me to wrap it up. It's now. Let me ask you something. Have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior and your King? If not, I invite you to do that this morning. When, when the music starts playing, there's, there are going to be people back by the cross willing to talk with you, answer any questions you might have, at least try to. Uh, pray with you. Um, come talk to us about it. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and your King, then know this. Jesus sends you, he doesn't just send you, he sends you with humility and boldness. He sends you as us, as a community of faith, to share the good news in word and deed. And my question for you this morning is, have you embraced your role in that? I urge you, as, as part of the community of faith, that every morning when you wake up, you pray for opportunities to be able to share the good news in word and deed with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if that's available to you Ask Jesus to give you open doors of opportunity to show and tell others the good news. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that, that you are so merciful to us. God, we thank you that that you reached out to us to save us, and I pray that our response would be gratitude and then to reach out for the sake of, of others. It's just as a, a natural response. God, forgive us for, um, for our, our fear and then not sharing the good news. And then, God, I pray that, that you would forgive us of... of our arrogance and self-righteousness, our lack of humility um, when we do. God, we pray that the gospel, who you are and what you've done for us, would give us both boldness and humility. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that has, has not um, put their faith and trust in you as, as their Savior and their King, that this morning you would give them the faith to do that, that you would give them the courage to do that, that you would give them the humility uh, to do that, and then to, to tell one of us so we can encourage them in their faith. God, for, for the rest of us help, us, help us to regularly pray and ask you to show us the sin in our, in our hearts, especially our self-righteousness, and how that leads us to treat other people who don't believe the same way that we believe. Help us to be just so overwhelmed by your grace that we'd be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray these in your name. Your head is